for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more, says the Lord. God speaks gently to God's people through the prophet Jeremiah. To those who've disobeyed and rejected and rebelled against God, to a people who've committed idolatry and apostasy and adultery, God says forgiveness, not vengeance, not retribution. Forgiveness is your destiny. God is forgiving love. This prophecy marks one of the most crucial moments in Israel's history, and this passage inspired the early Christians to use Jeremiah's prophecy and his expression of new covenant, or the more familiar phrase New Testament, to name the entire Christian canon of Scripture. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant, Not like the old, says the Lord. Not like the one that they broke, no. This time I'll engrave the covenant onto their hearts so that I will be their God and they will be my people and there won't even be need of teachers anymore or anyone to say to another that God is love or I am their God. They'll just know it will be written on their hearts. But how will this be, we ask? Because, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. I refuse to let human depravity have the last word. This is a supremely comforting declaration. Forgiveness for all of us. Forgiveness unshackles us relieves us, sets us free. You may not, you may have personal experience of the joy of being forgiven. You may know what it feels like to have set down the weight of guilt after being forgiven. You may know what it feels like to experience forgiveness as healing for you, for those that you've hurt or wronged, or for those who have hurt or wronged you. You can almost feel Jacob's stress and anxiety as he prepares to meet the brother whose blessing he stole from Father Isaac so many years before. We feel the relief when Esau runs and embraces Jacob and they weep together. Who has ever been forgiven who hasn't known something like this catharsis, this physical release of emotion? Some of you gathered here, you may hear Jacob say to Esau, To see your face is truly like seeing God's face. You'd be able to say to yourselves, I know what what that's like. I know the power of this kind of forgiving love. Such power can bring courtrooms to a standstill. October 2019, a white Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, had just been sentenced to prison for shooting an innocent black man named Botham Jean as he sat in his home on his couch watching TV eating ice cream. Jean's brother Brant shocked the courtroom while reading his impact statement when he asked the judge, I don't know if this is okay, but can I hug her? As they hugged for nearly a minute, Jean whispered in Geiger's ear, I forgive you. And I know that if you ask God to forgive you, God will forgive you too. On the other hand, Jeremiah's prophecy is mysterious and unsettling. 
in one fell swoop, God deletes the sins of a multitude. Can God do this? What if you were one of the Israelites who's been sinned against by a brother Israelite or a sister Israelite? What if you've been cheated on or sexually abused? What if you've had one of your children taken from you, kidnapped or murdered by one of your own neighbors, only to hear Jeremiah prophesy that forgiveness is everyone's destiny and it will extend to all perpetrator and innocent alike? Does this sound like good news? Or does it sound like a prophecy? that doesn't take seriously how the actions of others have devastated you. God doesn't appear to distinguish between categories. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The revered scholar Abraham Joshua Heschel once wrote in reference to a Nazi who'd asked a Jewish man for forgiveness for hurting other Jews. Heschel wrote, no one can forgive crimes committed against other people. Even God, in my tradition, even God himself can only forgive sins committed against himself. Not against man. There is the hug in the courtroom, a black person forgiving white violence against another black person. And then there is Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin. Trayvon murdered in his neighborhood by a vigilante George Zimmerman, who in the years hence has continued to rub it in. He even attempted to auction off the murder weapon, eventually apparently selling it for a quarter million dollars. In a recent interview, Trayvon Martin's mother, Sabrina, said, People say you're supposed to forgive, but if I don't feel it, I'm not going to say it. It has to sit well with your spirit. It has to sit well with your soul. And I have not gotten to that point. We could spend a lifetime discerning how appropriate forgiveness is in specific areas. Many of us may be struggling with wrongs and slights that don't hold a candle to the ones that I've mentioned so far. And yet we, we nurture these grudges, these old haunts come back again and again, we could. We could spend hours, days, years deciding where forgiveness belongs, where it doesn't for ourselves and for others. But what I wager in this series on God's love is that Jeremiah's prophecy reveals an important truth. Forgiveness doesn't begin with us. Forgiveness begins with God. We wouldn't know forgiveness was a divine characteristic if it weren't for the God who forgives Israel and for the God who forgives us. God's forgiving love is the origin and animating power that makes possible any forgiveness we might extend to others. We cannot forgive others or ourselves before knowing we've already been forgiven. If you're struggling to forgive, I, I want you to hear three very important announcements of good news. First, forgiveness is not all up to you. Forgiveness doesn't begin with you. Forgiveness begins in the heart of a God whose love writes forgiveness onto our hearts. 
It may be that you haven't yet found the power to forgive because God has only begun inscribing forgiveness onto your heart. Like Trayvon Martin's mother and so many others, you have not gotten to that point. It hasn't sat well with your soul, your spirit. Like Sabrina Fulton, you know that forgiveness is too, vi- too divine to treat lightly or to offer sentimentally. It is a holy act that may take years or a lifetime to sit well with your soul. Second, forgiveness is a communal responsibility, and we so often forget this. Brant John didn't conjure forgiveness out of thin air when he offered to hug his brother's murderer before an astonished courtroom. He had the backing of a Christian community Christian parents, a lifetime of memorizing and embodying verses like Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God in Christ forgives you. The holy act of forgiving is not yours to bear alone. You have a church. You have a Bible study group. You have Christian peers to walk alongside you. And if you don't, then I invite you to come here when the time is right and we'll help you find a community that will help you forgive others or yourself. Third, I want you to know that forgiveness is possible. God makes it possible. From Israel to cross and resurrection, God shows us how. After Charles Carl Roberts murdered five Amish girls in their schoolhouse in 2006, what transpired afterward would be unimaginable apart from God. Impossible, unthinkable. Apart from a community taking God's promise seriously, it never would have happened. Within days of the slaughter, Amish leaders went to the murderer's family to say, we will forgive you. When scholar David Steinmantz wrote about this event in the Raleigh News and Observer, he wrote, they forgave him because they thought Jesus had told them to. They were not clever enough to think he didn't mean it. He goes on, they invited Robert's widow to the funerals of their children insisted that some of the money raised to help them be used for her. And they even attended the graveside service of the man who had so cruelly wrested their children from them. Steinmetz concludes, you can't say it is impossible or hopelessly utopian because you've just seen it done. But first... First, we hear of it in Jeremiah's prophecy and we see it embodied on the cross toward which we move in these days of Lent. Jesus lifted up 
as he draws all people to himself, casts his gaze over a horizon of hatred and animosity and cruelty and abandonment and fear. And he says these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Was he meaning just those before him or all of us we don't know? It must have been both. Because that's true to the character of the God we hear saying to Israel. I forgive their iniquity. I remember their sin no more. And then, in another moment from the cross, a soldier trying to assure that Jesus is dead takes a spear and attempts to write the word death on his heart. And when he pulls the spear from Jesus' flesh, two things flow. The baptismal water of forgiveness and the red blood of life. Cursing down his body and forming in the most elegant filigree a written promise that says to all of us, This is your destiny. I remember your sins no more.